You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Peter David, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Have a great day. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Wolverine, Episode 2, Back to Basics, covering a period of Wolverine from 1989 to 1990. I am Curtis Findlay, your host. And I'm your Wolverine host, Drew Ivers. So we, uh, we're continuing with our Wolverine series, uh, picking up where we left off last time with episode one. Last time we talked about Claremont launching the title and then giving it over to Peter David for a cycle. And then now we are running into um, a period of Wolverine where he kind of he, he meanders a little bit through different creators. And first up is Archie Goodwin and John Byrne. Then we have a, a fill-in issue from Peter David, and then Joe Duffy, who comes on as sort of regular writer with a couple of rotating artists. Um, but that's not all we're talking about. What Drew, tell me exactly what are the issues uh, and the contents of this episode that we're going to talk about. Yeah, the book starts out with uh, two uh, graphic novel kind of one-shots. Um, first is Wolverine, Nick Fury, The Scorpio Connection, then Wolverine, The Jungle Adventure, and then we have a solid run of Wolverine issues 17 through 30. Yep, that's right. No Marvel Comics Presents, no annuals, uh, just the two graphic novels at the beginning there. So, But the way that the whole book is sort of structured, it feels like it's like kind of graphic novel after graphic novel because we get different writers, different creative teams. Uh, even when we get into the normal issues, it kind of feels like graphic novels. Yeah, we've got a, a big seven-part story um, by Archie Goodwin and John Byrne, and then, like you said, the fill-ins, and then it ends with a four-part uh, four-part story by Joe Duffy. Mm-hmm. Did you read this uh, era of Wolverine when you were a kid? No, um, I ended up I had back issues, um, sporadic back issues of that are collected here. I didn't have either of the graphic novels or the the one shots. Um, but I had a smattering here, so it, it's nice to have it all in one one cohesive collection. Yeah, I uh, haven't read any, hadn't read any of this stuff before. My Wolverine knowledge sort of comes kind of in the Larry Hama days, so everything before this is new. Um, but I've heard lots of good things about the Jungle Adventure. People, when talking about the early Wolverine stuff, kind of speak highly about that graphic novel. Uh, so mm. it was kind of neat to to read that one and see what the fuss is all about. But yeah, I find that there are two camps of people who who either love all of this early stuff or find that um, at right, once Chris Claremont left, it just kind of everything went downhill until until Larry Hama. And so there's there's two camps, and we actually have a lot of uh, comments from from Facebook that kind of talk about that. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. First, I want to ask you what you thought about uh, this the epic collection itself. The package, the restoration, the paper, the cover, everything like that. Well, 
Well, um, I think I think you have a better eye for the the restoration than I do, but it's definitely better than the last volume than volume one. There were some significant uh, reprinting issues or restoration issues in that one um, that we talked about. Yeah, and this one I thought was pretty good overall. The big things that I I look out for are gutter loss, and that usually doesn't happen in this era. But even on some of the the full bleed art in um, in the jungle adventure, it's it's not really noticeable. And um, I, I didn't really have any complaints. How about you? I actually have quite a few complaints. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wrote actually a very long Facebook post about this when this book first came out and I was flipping through it how kind of disappointed I was with the level of the restoration um, there are several issues that that I think carry on from the previous volume so whoever was restoring the previous issues or in volume one were was also the same person who was doing the work on this because it's exactly the same and a lot of it comes down to just really poor quality scans Either that it's either that they're poor quality scans, or that the the printing when it actually went to press, uh, something happened, and it's just a like a low quality image that got printed. Now, the biggest issue with Marvel reprinting stuff is always with the it seems to be with the with the zip tone, the like the screen tone patterns, which is all of the little tiny black dots, dots right that, that yeah. give that gives shading to things and if you don't have the best crystal clear uh scans so that those circles are perfect when you start scaling like rescaling it or uh trying to deal with things then it, it creates sort of an optical illusion where the the dots start blending together and creating these different different effects and a lot of this can be seen in um, in backgrounds, so if you go to the jungle adventure, and uh, the of course there's the front cover, and then there's the title page where you just see an image of Wolverine's arm, and you have the credits uh, for everybody who worked on the book. Yeah, that's see, see, I, I don't, <laughs> I guess I don't have an eye for it because to me it's so consistent that it, it looks intentional almost. Right. But it's not intentional. So so what, what we're seeing here on the page, and if you have this book, you can look at this too. It's polka dots. You can see all of mm -hmm. these kind of gray dots in the background. It's supposed to be solid gray. Mm -hmm. But it's a solid gray screen tone, and the dots are so small that it's creating, they're starting to, um, they're starting to connect with the dots that are beside it to create an, a, um, an optical illusion kind of effect where now it looks like polka dots. Oh, that's really disappointing. Yeah, and this can be seen in other epic collections. Like, I was reading uh, the Round Robin epic collection, and the graphic novel in there is called Fear Itself, and they use screen tones pretty exclusively throughout the book for the backgrounds, and on every page you see these polka dots popping up, and mm -hmm. it looks very, very distracting. So this problem isn't consistent all throughout this book. So if you go to page 190 in the Epic Collection, which is um, in the middle, it's at the very last page of issue 19. And you see Wolverine flying through the water. So this one is different because you can see the, the gray tones. Let's say in the uh, the bottom left panel where Tiger Shark is, is grabbing Wolverine by the ankle. Mm -hmm. You can see the dots 
and they're acting as they are supposed to be acting. This is a good scan. And what they've done, what the artist has done, is removed a lot of the dots in order to create an underwater bubble effect. So that's the bubble effect is intentional, but then when there are no bubbles, there's also no polka dots. Uh, the, the screen tone is acting as it should be. However, turn back one page. This is page 188. And you see Wolverine walking across this metal grate and Geist is in front of him and he's kind of pushing Geist in, the, in a certain direction, right? There's the big machinery behind him. All of this is gray and they're using... So I guess in four-color four printing, in the printing process, gray is not a color that you can make. So it has to be approximated by using mm -hmm. the screen tones. Uh, so all of these different shades of gray are screen tone patterns of various different colored dots that are closer together or farther apart in order to make it either lighter gray or darker gray. And the bad scan comes when you look at the, the black lines in the machinery that's behind Wolverine. You can kind of see that each black line is surrounded by a, sort of a lighter white, almost a white line. Do you see what I'm talking about there? Yeah, kind of the uh, the hash marks on that that pipe there. Okay, there's a better example. If you turn back one page to 187, the page the the scene where Wolverine is running, he says, "Must be using rockets." All of the the pipes, um, the gray that's in the background, it's supposed to be solid gray, but it looks like there's a little outline of white mm. around all of these pipes. It's not supposed to be there. If you go back to the original comic, that stuff is not there. And I know that this is an issue, so I'm more sensitive sensitive to it. And I admit that I like I go looking for it <laughs> because I know that it's there, and it just and it's a pet peeve. You can be completely oblivious to that and totally not pay attention to it, and you'll probably be fine. Uh, unfortunately, I I don't like this about myself, but I <laughs> I just I look at it and like oh man, it bugs me every time. So that's one of my issues. The other issue I have is that the, the the company that's doing the restoration, the coloring on it, is very, 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 very sloppy. And they use like an airbrush technique to color their uh, all of the, the, the artwork. And they just don't care about staying in the lines a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I did notice that, especially like on Tiger Shark. It's just kind of wavy looking and yeah. Wolverine's um, shoulders and everything. Yeah, they just don't stay in the lines a lot of the time. It's it's really annoying. And again, this is something that I go looking for because I know that this who whatever company or whatever person in particular that has been coloring these issues is is just it's just sloppy. And if you go to uh, I think it's the last issue in this book where Karma is using her powers. Uh, let's see if I can find an example here. Okay, here we go. Uh, go to page three hundred and ninety four. Okay. And you see uh, the, the way that this artist portrays Shan's powers as uh, the, the dots and the red lines kind of forming around their heads. You see how blurry the red is compared to the sharpness of the black? Looks like it was done in uh, Microsoft Paint or something. Yeah, they are using like a, like a brush, either an airbrush or just a paintbrush instead of like a sharp pencil. And 
Uh, I'm sensitive to this because I've been doing a lot of coloring myself. Um, I've been doing the restoration on IDW's and the Library of American Comics for better or for worse comic series. So I I look for this kind of stuff when I'm looking at other other restoration, and like I don't I don't like that at all. It does it looks like it's not part of the picture because it's not it's not clear it's not solid. Whereas if you go to the original comic and look at those actual comic pages, it's not blurry. Those are solid red lines that should be in these pages here. I wish I had a better eye for this stuff. I, I hope they fix this once. I'm assuming Wolverine, the main series, will get um, get masterworked yep. eventually, and that'll be fixed. I would assume that it would be. All of the epic collections that we have that are based on the masterworks files are excellent. They don't have these issues at all. And the the best example is looking at Jim Steranko's Nick Fury because he uses screen tones so much and he messes with screen tones and he uses weird, weird screen tones that create weird, bizarre patterns and it all looks perfect. It all looks crystal clear and it's not all black. He uses green screen tones and blue screen tones and red screen tones and they all look perfect. It can be done. It's just not being done in this book. I don't know why. Yeah, that's disappointing. Um, I guess I guess ignorance is bliss for me because I, I, I just don't have that eye. I, I really wish I did. Well, that's that's fine. <laughs> well, no, I think I think I read the comics. I think I read the words and, you know, the the, the art is almost secondary. And then I, I just I always have to force myself to slow down and look at each panel and, <laughs> yeah. and take my time with the art. And you, it sounds like you're probably the opposite way. When I read a comic, my eye looks over the entire page before I get to the words. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that's sometimes bad because I spoil myself with something that's coming up. But the I, I don't look at it in detail, but I take in the whole page before I start reading. And then I start reading and then look at the panels more closely. And that's just the way I, I've always done it. I don't know why. It's just the That's just how it's always been. But that then you start to notice those kind of things because you get a good overview of of the page. Uh, you can see how the panels are supposed to flow be, even before you're starting to read them. And then when I go to look at things in more detail, I start to, because I'm not experiencing the the faces and the, the, the composition for the first time, I start looking at more of the details. And then those things start standing out to me. And now that I know that this, this stuff is happening, like once I saw at the beginning of this book when those things started to be a problem, I... Uh, I was like, okay, now I'm going to be identifying every single page in here. I can't help but notice <laughs> I can't it. help it. I will say, though, however, that the the two graphic novels, other than that one dot pattern thing that I mentioned in Jungle Adventure, the, the graphic novels look fantastic. They do. The restoration on those is very, very good. Um, Jungle Adventure especially, uh, the, the, the colors just pop. Everything's so vibrant, and, and it's wonderful. And then the special... Like, I don't know what techniques are used to, for coloring the Scorpio connection. I think it was painted. It's painted in some way, yeah, but it's definitely full color. So they had to use full color processing rather than rather than four color. So when you go to restore something like that, you can't just strip away the color uh, from the black line and then recolor it because so much attention is... Like, there's so much shading in the comics. There's There's so much blending of colors that you can't just reproduce that 
so a lot of the the graphic novels that are full co- full process color are just really good scans, and so they did a really good job of scanning and touching up uh, the Scorpio connection. Really happy with that one. So overall, it's a mixed bag in terms of the restoration. Well, hopefully, hopefully, um, volume three they they get someone else on the book or you know put a little more time into it here because it, it's fun material and you know. It, when you're putting out a product like this, that's going to be on people's shelves or on their, you know, their iPads or whatever. I think, I think people deserve the best restoration that, that you can get. I think so too. And it's not like the price point of these books is really cheap. We're, we're paying a good, good money. Like this is a, for you, it's a $40 book for me in Canada. This is $52. And yeah. it's like, uh, there are other trades. Like you can go to other companies other comic companies and trades of this caliber are not as expensive. So we're paying more and some of these volumes aren't showing off their best work. <laughs> I think, I think if, if you're a reader of more of the the sixties and seventies material that's been masterworked, you're definitely fortunate in yes. in having those beautiful scans. And we saw yep. that when we did the, um, the Silver Age Captain America. Yeah, yeah. That was the restoration that, on, on Jack Kirby's art was just beautiful. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I have no complaints with all of that 60 stuff. And even books as late as um, the Defenders material from the 80s, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that restoration is fantastic as well. Uh, if you look at those ones, they're using the. the uh, has that stuff been masterworked? I can't remember. The Defenders, all the Defenders material? Um, I don't. I don't think they've gotten to where the epics are. I okay. could be wrong on that. Well, they have. They they spent some time on that one, but I I just know now, and I should look up and compare to see which names because they list the people who are, are doing the re- restoration in here. Color Tech, Color Tech might be or Jaring Quality Color. I want that's who's doing the, the the restoration here. I wonder that would be an interesting thing to look up. Just check the other rest, the other volumes that have these sort of issues. I know that uh, Spider Man, the Round Robin, and Return to the Sin- of the Sinister Six; those volumes have similar issues that I'm talking about here. So I mm-hmm. should go back and then check, and maybe in a future episode I'll report my findings. Okay, we talked a lot about that. Let's move on to talking about uh, some listener feedback. Uh, I asked people on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram to give me their thoughts and comments about this volume. What did they like about it? What didn't they like about it? And we got some good response. So let's see what people have to say here. Chemi says, I do not like Wolverine. I have never thought of him as a great character and felt he was mostly used by writers and artists who didn't have a compelling enough story and needed an added hook. But, However, this book was amazing from start to finish. I did not stop or let up. I loved it. I read it in one afternoon and could not believe it went by so quickly. This might be the best epic collection I've read. Wow. wow. Oh, man. Um, and then he goes on and says, one of the funniest parts of this volume was how the whole patch disguise is dismissed by some of the characters since he is so clearly Wolverine. Yeah, it's not it's not as bad as in the volume one where it's, you know, it's clearly a, a running joke. But, um, you know, they, they keep mentioning the X-Men are supposed to be dead. Wolverine is dead. 
but it's it's an open secret at this point. <laughs> yeah. But I just love his enthusiasm for this. He thought that this was one of the best epic collections he's read. Now, I don't know that I would go that far. It has some great stuff in it. It also has a few missteps. Um, but I'm glad to see someone experiencing Wolverine uh, who never really gave this character the time of day and loved it. I had a similar experience with The Punisher recently. Never read any Punisher, but then started reading the epic collections and realized, wow, there's actually some really amazing stuff in these books. That's great. Um, I, I totally get that about Wolverine, uh, especially if you grew up in the, you know, the 80s and 90s where he was just everywhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, oversaturated completely. And I, I kind of feel the same way about about Deadpool. You know, I, you <sighs> yes. know, I'm kind of biased against him just because he was everywhere. And I was like, ah, sure. I don't get it. But, um, you know, that, that's great that you can you could pick up this collection and and just be totally surprised by it. Yeah. So a comment from Josh. He says, this collection was a bit of a mixed bag for me. The burn run I felt was way too long and could have been told in two issues. The the two graphic novels, however, I thought were top-notch. Chaikin and Mignola are two masters of sequential art, and both books are very well written. On a technical side of things, the coloring of this epic was distracting due to the weird soft bleeds of color. Uh, he says, Curtis, I believe you described this process on Facebook on what they did and why it looks that way. And that's kind of what I was trying to reiterate just uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> before. Other than that, happy to have it on my bookshelf, and I look forward to Volume 3. So, yeah, that's uh, that's good. Thank you for those comments there. Uh, we'll talk about the length of the of the Archie Goodwin story when we get to that, because uh, I do have some comments about that, too. Sean says, I like the burn run. Tiger Shark versus Wolverine was something that was in an old letters page of Marvel Age that I had read when I first started reading. I thought it was funny that Goodwin had them fight. The Lazarus story was drawn out garbage, though. The lack of direction (laughs) from the end of Claremont to Hama taking over at the beginning of the next issue really shows in this epic. It is kind of amazing how you could go over half a year with no direction in what had to be one of Marvel's best-selling comics. So this is the flip side of, of the other comments. Very interesting how people take different things out of it in different ways. I, I tend to be more on the negative side with this collection. Um, there are some strong points, but it's definitely, it definitely, there's no, there's no cohesion as a collection or within the stories themselves. And we'll get into that, the specifics, but yeah, it, it's definitely, um, if you compare it to volume one, I feel it's it's definitely the weaker of the two. Yeah, I would I would say so too, for sure. Uh, one comment over on Instagram, Lucas says it's an enjoyable volume until the mess of Lazarus project. <laughs> so two comments in a row where people don't like that. I liked half of Lazarus project. I feel like there was a definite point where everything went off the rails in that story, uh, which we can which we'll get to later on as well. And then over on Twitter, I asked, uh, I, I put up a Twitter poll. I said, as soon as Claremont left Wolverine's ongoing series, the patch in Madripoor concept was dropped. Would you have liked to see that continue through Peter David and Archie Goodwin's run? And I wrote this before I had read this volume. And so when I went to read this volume, I realized, oh, they actually kind of do keep the, the patch and Madripoor stuff going sort of through this book. Like you said, it's an open secret at this point. But but it seems like every writer who came on during this this run 
said to them they said to themselves well i guess he's patch i need to reestablish him as patch but then by the end of their story he's no longer patch so we had that in peter david's story it's like there's a lot of madripoor in there but then by the end of that he's wolverine well i think i think in volume one you can probably count on one hand the number of times he's in his costume and in this i mean he's still patch he's still wolverine um, but it, there's definitely a, a much heavier dose of Wolverine in this volume. Yeah, and well, and again, there's lots of comments I'm going to kind of say throughout when we get into the issues, but he himself, he even says, like, got to protect my secret, and then he's like, screw the secret. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he uses almost uses those words exactly. So anyway, my options for this poll were, uh, yes, I loved Patch, I would have loved to see it continue, or no, Patch was ridiculous, didn't want it to continue, and... 55% of the people said that they loved Patch. 43% of the people said that they didn't love Patch. So it was a it was a it was a win for Patch. I think I think for me, I think and I made this comparison in, in episode one, but it's kind of like Matches Malone and and Bruce Wayne and Batman. Like you like when he t- becomes Matches Malone and goes undercover, but you're there for Batman. I mean that's that's the main reason you want to, you want to pick up Wolverine and see Wolverine. Right. And I think the biggest thing about Claremont's stories is that he had himself a costume and but it wasn't Wolverine costume. It was like this weird black stealth costume with that mesh that he put across his eyes. Yeah, the the nylon stocking over his eyes. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like he he could have easily just been Wolverine in those instances, but he decided um Claremont's like no, no, no taking the Wolverine completely out of that, even though the book is called Wolverine. And we're going to deal with that. So, And that's what everybody here in this volume does is like, okay, so Patch still kind of exists, but we're fully embracing the Wolverine part of it as well. Yeah. So there's one comment on Twitter. Um, the guy uh, who goes by the 15th Doctor says, I want to click both options. Yes, I love Patch and no, it's ridiculous. And I think in this volume, you can get that. I think you get the good parts of Patch, but then you also get the good parts of Wolverine too. Yeah, I, I love the Madripoor stuff, and I, I love the supporting cast. Um, but at the same time, having Wolverine avoiding popping his claws is is fun for a little bit. But, yep. you know, Wolverine, I think Wolverine, I think action, I think ninjas slicing and dicing and you know there's there's room for both and this collection has that yeah definitely uh, a lot of people did comment on this twitter poll they said uh like gavin said that he he voted no it was a pretty dumb disguise but i did enjoy the matrapore adventures i liked that it was street level stuff rather than superhero but the eye patch was just silly we get a little bit of the street level stuff in here and also some more superhero stuff a lot more superhero stuff than we got in the past volume i think yeah, definitely. And Chris said the patch was a terrible idea. He says, I remember thinking at the time that we waited a decade to get an ongoing Wolverine series and they gave us <laughs> patch <laughs> instead of the character everyone loved. It was this weird alternate take. Come on. <laughs> and uh, Philip, he says, I'm not sh- 100% sure that Wolverine's solo title was a great idea. He has a popular character, but the number of really good Wolverine stories is slim. I'd have been tempted to keep him for the specials or limited series whenever a really good Wolverine story came along. And while that may be true, just printing his name on a cover prints money, so they're going to make it an ongoing series. Yeah, you you can't avoid it. One final comment from Stephen. 
Sellers, who says, I liked the Logan does Casablanca in Madripoor stories, but Peter David was right about the patch disguise because he called it as it was in that story. Uh, Not to say Logan couldn't still use that name, but it wouldn't fool anyone who'd recognize him. And we definitely see that in this volume as well. Okay, should we get on with the issues then? Yeah. Okay, first up, we're going to talk about the Scorpio Connection. This is a Wolverine slash Nick Fury graphic novel, the Scorpio Connection. This one's written by Archie Goodwin, and it's drawn by Howard Chaikin. In fact, he does all of the art. Uh, Richard Ory does the color. Richard Ory worked with Howard Chaikin um, on, a, on a bunch of different things, I think. Yeah, uh, American Flag is, I think, what they're most known for. Definitely, yeah, yeah. They they work together a lot. And there is another credit here that says special effects, and it, it credits Barb Rausch, who um, passed away some time ago. I don't know much about her, and I don't know what this special effects credit means. So that's kind of a, an interesting thing there. But as far as the story goes... Uh, Wolverine gets word that an old war buddy of his is killed and he is part of a shield unit that was killed that was all killed in some attack and a Scorpio symbol was left on his forehead the, 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 the forehead of the person who was killed so of course Wolverine is going to meet Nick Fury because Nick Fury has ties major ties to this character called Scorpio if you had to name a major like the number one arch villain for Nick Fury, would you say Scorpio's the one? Yeah, I mean, if you had to name an individual, I guess. Because um, like everyone knows Hydra, Shield versus Hydra. Yeah. But Nick Fury, who who would be his nemesis? Probably Scorpio. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So he comes back in this story, sort of. It's kind of like a little buddy, like a buddy movie, where mm-hmm. the two of them team up and have to. They have their own reasons for wanting to track down Scorpio, and they're they're at odds sometimes, and they have to work through their differences and such. But it's a very it ends up being kind of a convoluted story at the end because we we find out that the original Scorpio is Jake Fury, Nick Fury's brother, and he died some time ago, and so it's a mystery why this Scorpio is back. And this Scorpio uses the same costume, the same weapon, and everything. Turns out to be Jake Fury's son, Mikkel. And he's been brainwashed since birth by his mother, Amber. Uh, and so it, it's just like a re- little bit of a revenge story. So Nick wants to try and find answers, and Wolverine just wants to kill Scorpio, and, he, and so they have to try and uh, work things out. But uh, what did you think of this? Did you like this graphic novel? I did. Um, I, first of all, it's beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of usually hit or miss on uh, Howard Shakin's art. I think sometimes it looks a little sloppy to me. But I, in this, it's just gorgeous. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the colors or the fact that he's um, inking himself on this, but um, it's beautiful. And and like you said, the story is kind of convoluted and back and forth. And there was one point reading this, I just, I had, I, I felt like I missed a page or two. Um, like all of a sudden they were back at shield or something. And I just, I kind of lost track what was going on, but yeah, yeah, there was, I remember that too. There was a point where it's like all of a sudden there's a jump and I think Wolverine was unconscious 
and then all of a sudden yeah. he's conscious again. Uh, and like they've tr- moved locations, and Wolverine is is just there. Or maybe no, no, it was Nick Fury that was unconscious. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were a few moments like that. That, and then I could tell once I figured what was going on, I could tell that Archie was looking at the the picture and like, okay, I need to create some words to try and uh, explain the, this little jump here. And so it kind of worked a little bit, but not really. Kind of backfill it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I I love a good spy story. And I think that this still did a great job of uh, of setting up a good mystery, and then delivering at the end. I I was satisfied with how this story ended. Um, everybody kind of got resolution. Uh, there it wasn't a perfect ending. Be, like people didn't get exactly what they wanted, but there was enough of a of closure that I felt like the, the all the trouble was worth it. Do we ever hear from Mikkel or Mike Fury again? That's a good question. I'm I'm not sure. I didn't really look him up at all. I, I looked it up, and there there was a. I saw he was in a miniseries called uh, Fury of Shield from uh, 1995, which I haven't read, and I don't. So I don't know the extent of his appearance in that. But that that's pretty much it, and which kind of surprises me because, I mean, Nick Fury having a son is. You think it would be bigger news? Oh, it's it's a nephew, because it, this is Jake Fury's son. Well, they, they reveal that he's actually... Oh, uh, right, yeah, they reveal Nick that Fury's it's son. actually Nick Fury's son, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one of the, the twists in there. Right. Well, we are... And then <laughs> nowadays, we know that Nick Fury had a son who's now taken over as Nick Fury, the black Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is kind of... They, they really forced that in there, but Nick Fury probably has a bunch of sons all over the place, kind of like Wolverine <laughs> does. I I'm guessing that... Nick Fury has a few other sons we don't know about. I, I, I never read this before, and I, I don't know. There's something about it that that really prevented me from from sinking my teeth into it. And I think I think like we touched on, there's a lot of jumps, and I felt I felt myself having to go back and reread the page every now and then. Yep. Um, j- just to make sure I was understanding everything. And there's just something about the flow that felt off to me throughout the whole the whole book. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I I think part of the issue is that uh, there was there's a difference between Wolverine's involvement and Nick Fury's involvement. Wolverine gets top billing here. It's Wolverine slash Nick Fury because Wolverine is the name that's going to sell. But this really is just a Nick Fury story with Wolverine kind of yeah. shoehorned in here. His his excuse for being there is kind of flimsy. He's out for revenge for some character we've never heard of and don't really care about. And he does make a difference. Like he does help infiltrate things and he does uh, save Nick Fury when Nick Fury is unconscious. And in fact, he even takes care of the bad guy at, at the end. But the whole time I feel like they're trying to place more importance on Wolverine than there probably should be in this story. But because simply because he's on the the cover of this book, mm-hmm. uh, and so you get a weird pull when the story's flying along and doing a really good job of telling the Nick Fury portion of the story, but then we have to check back with Wolverine every once in a while because oh yeah he's in this too, so it's it just it it's pulling in a couple of different directions. I think when the, when you have those these team up books where it's kind of like two kids bashing their action figures together, you know, 
one always suffers. Um, it's very hard to, to find that perfect balance, especially when they don't, they don't really interact at all for the first third of the book or so, or maybe, maybe right. even half really. So I know this was collected as part of a trilogy. Have you read the other two parts in that collection? No, I haven't. Uh, tell me about that. I didn't, I didn't even know that about that. Yeah. So it was collected in a, in a trade paperback, um, called Wolverine and Nick Fury Scorpio. And the second part is called uh, Wolverine bloody choices. And that one is written by Tom DeFalco. And, uh, the third one is called, um, Scorpio rising. And that one, uh, is more of a direct sequel to this book. And uh, it's written by Howard Shaken, but, uh, he doesn't do the art. I'm hoping though that both of those will be collected in future Epic collections, maybe volume three or four for bloody choices. And then, uh, I'm guessing volume seven for Scorpio rising. So uh, fingers crossed that they make it into the epics. Wow. Well, like I said, I, I enjoyed it by the end that I thought they wrapped things up nicely. You do have to kind of work a little bit to, to get through it, but there's a lot mm-hmm. to love. And I especially like a lot of the, um, the effects. Uh, maybe this is what they mean by special effects is the effects from Zodiac. Whenever Zodiac is using his powers, the the panels are all solid red. Yeah, with the wavy kind of peppermint lines there. And if you go back to the old Agent Nick Fury, Agent of Shield issues by Jim Steranko and look at the way that he did Scorpio's blasts, these are the weird screen tone patterns that I'm talking about. He just goes all out, and this is definitely not the same thing, um, but it's a it's still a cool look. It's just it's striking as well because you get a really nice painted look, and then it's and then all of a sudden these panels are just stark white and red, and that's it. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I think this book is beautiful. I, I love the color choices, um, especially today when there's a lot of uh, gradients and stuff in modern recolorings, and mm-hmm. people are rarely rarely any other shade than their actual flesh tone and. Um, I mean, in the flashbacks, there's a flashback here where everything is orange with Wolverine and uh, and his buddy. This is actually a, an interesting point because if you look at each page as a page, there's a definite color. There, there are definite color choices. So if you go to page 27 uh, in this mm-hmm. epic collection here, the whole desert scene that follows the next couple of pages, it's all sort of this orangey red monochromatic yeah. color there. And then you flip the page to page 30 and 31, and it's all sort of beiges and light blues. And then you turn the page again, um, oh, and then it finish up, finishes up the beige and blue scene. And then you get to page 33, and it's all blue and the glow from the, the TVs. Like, they all have a very specific palette, each page. Page 36 and 37 is all blue with, with yellow highlights. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then you turn the page to 38 and 39, and they're using these these earth tones throughout Browns, that really yeah. work with Wolverine's costume. Um, and they, it suits it well with the blue suits and the purple and blue dress on Amber. Like it's, it's so, so intentional and very, very well done. I really like the color in this. I do too. Ah, but yeah, we should move on. Um, why don't you take us through the jungle? Uh, yeah, the jungle adventure. Um, Wolverine flies into the savage land and quickly uh, fights his way to becoming leader of a, a tribe there, a tribe of natives. And um, we end up learning in a flashback that he was drawn there by a mysterious assassin who 
smelled like the savage land and that's how wolverine found him um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh he helps the tribe defeat something called the honker which is a, a giant cyborg tyrannosaurus rex and uh he, he tracks down the source of it and there's this mysterious mountain base where apocalypse or so we think is um doing some cloning projects and uh wolverine ends up defeating him and, and destroys the mountain base so this is written by Walt Simonson with uh, artwork from Mike Mignola, inks by Bob Wiak. And uh, this was a wild ride. I, I really enjoyed the first part where Wolverine is uh, yeah, working his way through the tribe and we get some flashbacks and that kind of stuff. It's, there's some really cool scenes of him just fighting dinosaurs <laughs> and it's a lot <laughs> yeah. of fun. And it feels like it's Wolverine in his element that he's like he's being embraced by a tribe that understands him understands his his feral side yeah i really liked the um the reveal of uh what's her name the chief you have no idea that she's a woman uh until after he defeats her and you know she approaches him yeah and uh i thought his interactions with her throughout the book were were fun to read yeah, I thought so too. I thought just the playful like uh, ribbing of each other, and like she she knows that she's better, but kind of uh, pokes fun at the way he d- he does he does things and stuff stuff like that. <laughs> so you've you've been reading a ton of Marvel comics. Is this the first actual landing into the Savage Land that you've seen? Oh no no no! Um, I saw in uh, the Incredible Hulk Epic Collection number three back in the sixties. They they, instead of crash landing. Bruce falls through a giant hole <laughs> and ends up in the savage land. I just, I know there's a, a gag in, um, I think it's Bendis's new Avengers where uh, Spider-Man says something like, you never land in the savage land. You always oh. crash. In the savage <laughs> land. Yeah. And Wolverine makes a perfect little landing here. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. Sure. I have to pay attention to that. Yeah. That's so funny. I, and I, I love when there's dinosaurs in comics. And so this one splash page where the T-Rex is just popping out of the, the jungle here. Fantastic stuff. It looks so good. Mike Mignola should do some more dinosaur books. <laughs> I, I love Mike Mignola. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Hellboy universe, yep. BPRD and all that. And uh, especially his early art here is just, it's beautiful. I mean, it, it's such a change of pace from the, the last story too. Um, I mean, you can't really get more opposite in terms of coloring. I mean, the Nick Fury story is at every page just pops with different colors. Like we talked about, and this is very muted, very, very earth tony, And also very flat. And yeah. because Mignola likes to, to play with very large blocks of shadows. And so that uh, when you, when you do that and you're not rendering people and things as realistically you also uh, make sure that your colors kind of uh, reflect that. So he he is a very. I'm not gonna. It, it sounds wrong to say he's a flat artist, because he's not flat. He has lots of depth and and dimension in his artwork, but the way he uses his shadows makes it so that uh, the the colorist does a lot of flat coloring. It doesn't do mm-hmm. a lot of rendering in the in the color, uh, which is appropriate. I think it works really well. Well, you, you need a lot of shadows, yep. especially when everyone's in, in loincloths, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to cover some of that up. <laughs> well, and the woman who doesn't wear a top of his entire entire graphic novel 
they uh, they're very <laughs> playful with the way that they they always post things there. So halfway through this book, Wolverine falls through a hole and ends up with Apocalypse. And at this point, I was enjoying it, and I'm all of a sudden like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Like Apocalypse is saying weird things and not acting like himself. And I'm like, I know that at this point, Apocalypse is still fairly new. He hasn't been a completely well-established character. I'm like, well, maybe... And, like, Walt Simonson worked with this character in X-Factor, so he should have a good handle on how to do this character. But I'm like, what What the heck is going on? And uh, and it, it really threw me to the point where I was like, this graphic novel just jumped the shark. I, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is the big reveal that it's like, it's no, this is a, a, a robot apocalypse that's kind of gone renegade and has his own own programming and that's why he's saying these things and that's why he like does what he does so it it redeemed itself but it was so shocking or jarring i think to me well it's he's he's so over the top i mean yeah uh, the the page numbers aren't on here but you know he says welcome to my humble abode and if you'll forgive me i'm required by law to say this how nice of you to drop in so unexpectedly i mean (laughs) he's just making puns and and just acting so goofy it's I totally get what you mean. So maybe a smarter person would have been like, something's wrong, this is not the real apocalypse, but I totally thought that this was just Walt Simonson not writing very well. <laughs> but it turns out he was <laughs> writing very well. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't usually like the, you know, especially with Doctor Doom and the Doom bots. It's kind of it's kind of a letdown when something turns out to be a, a cyborg or a right. robot, you know. Sure, yeah. But um you know, you get to see Mike Mignola draw Wolverine versus Apocalypse, so I guess I can't complain too much. Totally. There's a cool, just artistic choice. Uh, when you get to the point where Wolverine's falling through this hole, and there's just this one huge panel that's totally black, except for the, sh- the uh, just the kind of the green glow of Wolverine just falling through it. He's saying blast. Mm-hmm. You see that page there? Yeah, and you see the hole at the top. Yeah, and so if you look, if you just look at the whole page as a whole, it's actually just a giant black bar that extends up all the way across the page there. And then there's a little skinny white bar on the left side of this one page. Oh, yeah. So everything that happens above ground has a white border. And then you have this one page where half of the page has a, or a portion of the page has this white border. And then you see these three panels where Wolverine's getting closer and closer to being inside. And then you have it being a black border as he falls through. And any, and then if you flip through the next few pages, it's all black borders the entire time that he's underground until the very, very end when he goes back above ground and is white, white borders again. Oh, that's so cool. That is a really cool choice. It adds just a, a moodiness to it when he's underground. And it breaks the pattern in the one panel where Wolverine's completely decimated that robot. Mm-hmm. You see it. Uh, you see the white panel extend to the edge of the page, but that's just for dramatic effect. Just to get that stark relief of him yep. victorious there. Totally. Yeah, and just show that. I think also to show that kind of the, the battles drained him. If you had to compare the two the two stories here, which would you prefer? Oh, I prefer the Jungle Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it was a, it was a more fun story, and uh, just uh, because it f- could focus on Wolverine solo, uh, it just fit the, it fit Wolverine's character more, rather than 
just kind of random go, randomly going on a mission with Nick Fury. Uh, this one had, even though this one, like the reason why he was in the Savage Land was really, really flimsy, uh, it still it still felt good. I, I enjoyed this one more than the last. So I did, I did some research, and the the baby in the the last panel, the last page there, is apparently named Arista. Okay. And this is the only appearance. So oh, just okay. like uh, just like Nick Fury's son in the last one, uh, Wolverine has a, a baby here. We we never hear from again in so. the Savage Land. In the Savage Land somewhere, yeah, that's that might be a good story for someone to pick up. Definitely, totally, yeah. It's just waiting a story waiting to happen there. He's probably an adult now, and like, yep, yeah, that's cool. Um, I did also like the fact that this whole story was told from the point of view from this this elder of the tribe, not from the point of view. Sorry, it's just a it's like a it's like a like story, a like a it seems like it's like a a myth a mythology that this yeah. guy is passing down to another generation about this this warrior from the sky that came and took care of their problems. Very kind of cool to see um, the, these people view Wolverine that way. Yeah, it's a good framing device. You yep. have it, the first page and the last page mirroring each other like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, one more comment. There is one scene in here where he, where Wolverine finds an adamantium skull in Apocalypse's lair. Mm-hmm. Did you know that the original plan, Chris Claremont's original plan for Wolverine was to have Apocalypse be the reason behind everything in Wolverine's life? I did not know that. Yeah, I just found that out the other day as well. Apparently, this, this would tie into it. This would tie into it. But then Larry Hama took over writing and started doing his own thing. And Chris Claremont was no longer associated with the X-Books at the time. So they went in a completely different direction. <laughs> well, this would be, I mean, this is at a period where there's virtually no, um, no backstory to Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a couple of issues of flashbacks, but right. I mean, this would be such a, a nice Easter egg or, you know, a clue for people. Yeah. Looking back in retrospect, if, if they had gone with that, you would not have known when this came out that that would lead to Apocalypse being behind everything in Wolverine's past. But, yeah. uh, you'd go back to it and you're like, oh man, it all started here. But nothing started here. It's all a red herring. Yeah, this story would probably be um, probably be a lot more important than than kind of a add into the epic collection here that it is. I mean, it's yeah. it, I think it's well looked on, but you know, it'd probably be up there with um, with something like Wolverine Origin. Totally, yeah, yeah. It would be a key moment in the life and times mm-hmm. of Wolverine, but instead, it's just a jungle adventure. Just a jungle adventure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, let's keep on going here and plow into our regular issues. Uh, we're going to start with issue number 17. This is the first issue of Archie Goodwin and John Byrne's run. John Byrne's only doing the breakdowns through these issues. Klaus Jansen is finishing it up. And I believe, I correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I can't remember exactly, Klaus Jansen was the person doing the finishes for John Buscema in the first volume. Yeah. And so we have the same, basically the same inker and stuff. And I I feel like I, I often had a hard time telling that this was even John Byrne. I, I agree. Even, so there is one issue, I think it's the last issue, 23, that John Byrne does the pencils and inks. And even that one doesn't quite look like typical John Byrne. I feel, especially with 
once you get into like the the stuff with Prince Baron, because we have Klaus Jensen doing the finishes for this stuff and the last stuff, like there's a there's a consistency that he he turns the artwork to look a little bit more John Buscema than John Byrne. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, John Byrne has such a distinctive style; it yeah. definitely is muted in these stories. It really is. But John Byrne fully inks, draws and inks all of the covers in these, for these stories. So if you want a good dose of John Byrne, then you can look at the covers. But in, in this first issue, it's called Basics. Logan smells cocaine. And he's like, oh, <laughs> let's get that out of there. And so he follows the trail and it leads him to a ship where his old sparring partner, Roughhouse, is being experimented on by a, a man named Geist. That story only starts halfway through this issue. There's a lot of stuff before this, before he smells the cocaine that you kind of have to get through in order to get the story started, including um, a little flashback, I guess, of Wolverine, uh, stuff that's happened in Wolverine's past, um, where he's in the outback still Mm -hmm. and getting Gateway to teleport him to Madripoor. There is a, a bar fight with Roughhouse to reintroduce us to these characters since Roughhouse is going to be a major player in the coming story here. And also, um, I found a rather pointless cameo appearance from Daredevil. Yeah, it, it kind of comes in out of nowhere. You know, I get they're trying to show that this cocaine is... It's making its way you know, to everywhere. Yeah, and it's got some pretty serious side effects. Um but it's it's a significant amount of Daredevil. I mean, it's it's two or three pages, um, totally totally separate from from what's going on in the rest of the book. Yeah, and so it's just little pacing things like that. I mean, there was that one comment that said that this story is too long, and there's things like that where we didn't need to have three pages to tell us that the cocaine makes people really violent. You know, we'll get into the rest of the story in these later issues, but the I was surprised at how long it was. I don't I don't necessarily think it was too long because it, the way it starts here is totally different from where it ends up. So I, right. I kind of I kind of understand that you know you, if that were more rushed, it would probably be a little too much crammed in there. But um, the story is told in two parts. There's definitely this first part that goes up to issue twenty. And then there's the spore part that happens after it. And they are connected, yeah. but they are definitely too, focused in two different different areas. And I think you could call them two, two arcs of a, of a large story. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's if you, if you told someone based on this first issue that you'd end up with the, that the cocaine was really a living, sentient creature created by the deviants <laughs> and the yeah. Eternals... I, I wouldn't believe you, but you know, it, it somehow gets there in the end. Yeah. It actually keeps on, it starts off fairly normal and keeps on building and building to a, a very ridiculous place uh, in the end and good ridiculous. I think they pull it off really well, but, uh, and we'll get to that when we get to those issues. But what did you think of this new character Geist? Um, I, I like him. I think kind of, he's very comic booky. I mean, he's a cyborg Nazi guy and, I, I like the little character quirks of him, his little shaving comments throughout the story here. His fetish. <laughs> his, yeah, I didn't want to use that word, but that's definitely what it is. Um, 
he's always wanted to shave people. It's uh, I so just, strange. I it's really it. strange. And I mean, Rough House and Wolverine are very hairy characters. Yep. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's kind of a, he's kind of a cool villain. Uh, I, I, I don't know that we see too much more of him um, past this story, but I, I like him. Yeah. I think he pops up here or there throughout the, the next you know, 30 years or whatever it is, um, but not significantly. When I first read this, I instantly thought of Silvermane from Spider-Man mm-hmm. because there's another old dude that has replaced all of his body with robotics in order to stay alive. And it's just a, and, and in fact, this guy's, in, they're both involved in crime. The only real difference is that this guy seems to have lived a lot longer. Like he's, he dates himself way back before world war ii yeah and and there's i like i i guess i mean you always hear about the stories of the the nazis who ended up in south america so i kind of like that realistic aspect to it if if you want to call it that but um yeah yeah. and then his his ties with the cia and everything he's kind of a a unique villain because wolverine encounters him multiple times and you you can't really physically fight him except right. towards the end here. But uh, yeah, no, I think, I think just the intrigue and he's kind of got his hand in every little pot. I, I, he's kind of a compelling villain to me. So at the beginning of this issue, I felt like Archie Goodwin is really, really trying to convince us that patch is still a thing. <laughs> uh, Cause he goes out of his way in the dialogue to, to explain his purpose of being Patch. And this was after we've had Peter David's story where he's like, everyone's blown his cover and he's like, oh yeah, okay, I guess it can be Wolverine again. I almost feel like Archie Goodwin didn't read Peter David's story before reading into this, which is probably the case. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of emphasis on on all of that. <laughs> so, Well, it's definitely, this whole arc is heavy on... Um on the Madripoor supporting cast. I mean, you've got the Prince and, uh, and general, um, Koi there and, and rough. And yeah, the setup here in Madripoor with tiger, tiger and everything. And I love the detail on page one thirty four of her in bed. there wearing the eye patch. Yeah. Um, just <laughs> Some sort of, of role play or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, this, this issue ends with a fantastic splash page of Wolverine climbing up the anchor just really, really yeah no that's that definitely looks like john bird to be it really um, does yep he's definitely a strong strong page there yeah well you want to go into it nine? yeah i'll do my best to sum up 18 as succinctly as i can uh so issue 18 is called all at sea and uh aboard the ship wolverine runs into geist who reveals that he's working for the president of a country called tierra verde and uh, apologies for my spanish pronunciation there who's trying to develop a superhero for his country who can be a symbol um, for the country. And they're using this special cocaine and they're testing it on Roughhouse. And so Wolverine uh, breaks Roughhouse free and ends up fighting an out of control Roughhouse. And uh, General Coy shows up and buys some of the cocaine from Geist. And then Prince Baran shows up and uh, ends up taking Wolverine and throwing him out to sea where he ends up getting rescued by some of his friends. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fighting, a lot of action in this one. but uh, And we do find out a little bit about this tainted cocaine. And it's got ties to this character from Captain America. 
from Daredevil. Uh, Nuke, right? Yeah, Nuke. Nuke, yeah. Uh, now, is Nuke a Daredevil character or a Captain America character? I know he was in the Daredevil Netflix show. Uh, I think he I think he debuted in Daredevil. Um, I want to say Frank Miller uh, created him. Oh, this is totally a Frank Miller character. Yeah, that's that's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this president wants his own Avenger, but he wants an Avenger that he can control, an Avenger that'll do what he wants him to do, and not like an on loan Avenger from from America or, or whatever. So that's yeah. They're trying to use this tainted cocaine to create their own super soldier. I, I I love that. It's like America uses their science to create a super soldier. South America uses their drugs. To create a super soldier, <laughs> I, I love the whole the whole fight sequence between Roughhouse and Wolverine. These guys have been fighting pretty much throughout Volume One of the Epic Collection here, and then they started out last issue, issue seventeen, uh, in a bar fight. And here it's just uh, you know Roughhouse is a victim of a uh, guy shaving, um, and he, <laughs> so he's totally bald and just just throwing Wolverine around, tossing him around this boat. I, I just thought it was a good fight sequence here. Uh, the arc for Roughhouse is fantastic through this story, through these eight issues. Yeah. And just the relationship, how it forms um, through throughout the story is, is so, so well done. Um, and this one, I found like Wolverine should have been able to hold his own more against Roughhouse. But I think maybe he was taken by surprise and knows that Roughhouse isn't in the right mind, so doesn't actually want to hurt him very well. So, But I just thought he got thrown around a little too easily. Yeah. Um, he's You know, they definitely have gone toe-to-toe before. Does he have the, the cocaine in, in him at this point? Who, uh, Roughhouse? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's the reason okay. why he's going berserk here, yeah. He's going crazy. Yep. Um, I, I kind of... I kind of felt like there was too much going on in this issue. You know, we're bouncing back and forth between the boat and uh, Tierra Verde, and we we get introduced to the president and his ex-wife, who was a nun, and you know, it was it was a lot for me, and I had a hard time summarizing it because it, it seemed to bounce around a little bit. But <laughs> overall, right. overall, I thought it was a pretty good, a pretty good issue, and it really got the ball rolling on the story arc. Yeah, so this the first issue in the story sort of set the stage and and like I said it, it was only really half of an issue uh because they spent so much time here and there doing a whole bunch of other stuff. And then like you said in this one, they introduce so many new and different concepts that are all important and they're all going to pay off in the end, but it is a lot to throw at you all at once. You're right. Yeah, I, I found myself going back to this issue because at the at the I think it's the last issue of the arc, um, they General Coy kind of gets his come up, and so I'm like, wait, what? What did he have to do with all this again? You know, he, huh, right. he buys the cocaine, and he was going to use it on Tiger Tiger, and that happens in this issue. So yeah, like like you said, there's a lot of setup, and it gets paid off later. Oh, and that's not all the setup. I mean, the next issue is a lot of setup as well as we inter- get introduced to more characters and that kind of thing. And um, so issue 19 is, uh, it. what is the name of this one? Heroes and Villains. And this is an Acts of Vengeance tie-in. And I think this might be where a lot of the like uh, the drawn-out kind of feeling is because we don't really need to have Tiger Shark in this story at all. 
<laughs> he is really only here because of the Acts of Vengeance crossover. You know, I can just imagine Archie comes on board. He's like, I got this great story. Here's how it's going to be. It's going to be six parts. And then whoever, who, let's see, who's the editor at the time here? Bob Harris. <laughs> he says, okay, that's great, Archie, but we're going to do Acts of Vengeance. So can you stick in a random supervillain that Wolverine doesn't usually fight? Well, and he's not even there to fight Wolverine. He's there to fight uh, La Bandera because right. no one even knows Wolverine's alive at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so the next two issues, in fact, is it three issues? The next three? I think it's just the two. 20. Yeah, it's ni- 19 and 20 are the acts of vengeance. Yeah. So these next two issues are like... Uh, so bogged down with this tiger shark stuff that uh, the story kind of has to meander a little bit. So, uh, so let's get, let's start with issue nineteen here. This one, uh, Logan makes his way over to Tierra Verde to seek out Geist, and he meets a young rebel named La Bandera, who is fighting tiger shark, and so. Uh, Wolverine recognizes Tiger Shark, and so he's like, okay, this guy's no good. Helps out Lab and Bandera. Finds out that she is trying to overthrow the government and take back her city, who that which is overrun with crime and uh, drug cartels and such. Um, and then the loose connection, the loose, loose connection to Acts of Vengeance is a kingpin, uh, La, La Bandera, has been messing up Kingpin's operations in Florida. So he's tracked her down here to Tierra Verde and is sending Tiger Shark to, to take her out. <laughs> That's it. I, yeah, I, I think it's funny that we've gotten... So issue 17, we had a couple of pages of Daredevil. Issue 18, we had Nuke. And now we have Kingpin, who I know was Spider-Man and Daredevil. But it's three issues in a row with with, with characters from Daredevil. Here. Right, right. Well, and where's Tiger Shark? Who does he usually battle? Is he a... He's a, a, a Namor villain. Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Underwater. Let's talk about Lab Bandera for a little while. She's got a weird power. It took me a long time to figure out exactly how it worked. I think it wasn't until the last issue when I actually figured out what the power was. Kind of inspiring or compelling people to uh, to act, I guess. or uh... Yeah, because they just they just say something like her power is inspiration or her power yeah. is to inspire. And I don't, and then it's like, no, her power is to shoot these beams out of this stick. And it wasn't until the last issue where they kind of lay it out. She can influence people or that she says to inspire. She inspires people to action. And so as a, as a rebel, that's perfect. Well, and Wolverine kind of mentions a couple of times, um, you know that's that's really dangerous because you can you can inspire people to do a lot of things good and bad. Right. Uh, and then there's this full circle kind of thing because she inspires people, and their inspiration fuels her energy output. So mm-hmm. if there's no one to inspire, she can't project these energy blasts through this stick that she has. Or if she's inspiring people and then they become disillusioned, her offensive power is is taken away from her. You know, Wolverine seems to always be paired up with, um, with kind of younger 
female characters like Jubilee or Kitty Pride, and right. I think she kind of fits in that mold in this story arc. Absolutely, and then not only does he get teamed up with him, but he plays the uh, like the wise not father figure kind of a father figure yeah and gives advice and that kind of thing and he mm-hmm. does fit that bill here too as she is trying to start this uprising he gives her little words of wisdom throughout these next few issues yeah i think he's he's a little skeptical of everything and she's you know obviously very idealistic and gung-ho about the revolution yeah uh so issue 20 is called miracles and this is the second acts of vengeance vengeance issue um tiger shark and wolverine are still underwater and wolverine ends up getting his claws stuck in the coral meanwhile la bandera runs into geist and uh and tiger shark and ends up escaping from them just in time for wolverine to free himself and join the fight um roughhouse roughhouse is still being experimented on until he gets freed by wolverine and la bandera and they uh are able to escape with uh, Sister Salvation, the the nun as a as a kind of hostage. Yeah, so Sister Salvation, we find out in this one that she's got some healing powers, and we kind of found that out in the other one because, like, she was giving her husband uh, the the cartel boss the or you know he's the the president is he the president of the of Tierra. Yeah, Verde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the president, giving him a, a massage, and that calmed his migraine that he had. But we didn't realize, I think, at the time, that is an actual like power that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting concept to have this tainted cocaine that gives you uncontrollable rage and strength and that kind of thing. Like you become mindless, and then using this woman to heal the portion of like to bring your mind back so that you can control you're in control but you still have the strength and the power it's a good concept until that person who's doing the healing either dies or doesn't want to go along with your plan well and it 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 clearly wears on her throughout the book i mean she she's very um reluctant to to use her power and you know i think she she sees it as more of a burden than a gift yeah and I, yeah. I just love the way they draw Roughhouse here. He just looks disgusting. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just all bumpy, and and we find out later, you know, that is probably due to the, the spore, right thing. But uh, yeah, no, she's she's an interesting character, and again, reminded me of um, of Daredevil, of Daredevil's uh, mother who ends up becoming a nun. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Another Daredevil connection. I, I might I might just be pulling that out of nowhere, but it seems like there's some some ties here. Um, a lot of this issue takes place underwater, and dialogue. Uh, sorry, Wolverine has been using the, uh, like talking through the dialogue, the narration this in, this whole time. In fact, the last few issues have it as well. But for some reason, the dialogue in this issue really stood out to me. I found that Wolverine, like uh, Archie Goodwin, really nails. Wolverine's inner voice, the way he talks to himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still really kind of comic booky and stuff, and, and saying things to explain what's going on in panels. But but there's just some really nice narration, which I don't usually care about. Yeah, I think I, I think the main thing with Wolverine is you got to use a lot of contractions. He never he never says a full word. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> 
what, what do you think of acts of vengeance as a as an event or a crossover as a concept i love it because it's great to see especially during this era of marvel where everyone has their own rogues gallery it's great to see characters facing off against others that you wouldn't normally see and every writer deals with this so incredibly differently if you look at like the walt simonson fantastic four acts of vengeance issues where he just pits every single d-list villain against the fantastic four and they're like (laughs) they just wave their hand and they're all taken care of because they're the fantastic four and it's just played up for laughs and then there's like there's the Spider-Man side of things where Spider-Man has cosmic powers and he's fighting all of these like Magneto and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just they're they're all so different and uh and I and I love it. I think it's great. And then you get issues like this and it's like not so great or like the new mutants one where rusty's fighting vultures like I don't care for that story either. So there's <laughs> it there's there's good and there's bad. Um but as a concept, I think it's great. Do you like it? I've, I've, I've never read the entire crossover. I've only read it, um, you know, piece by piece in issues Me like too. this. Yeah, I only read them as they're coming up in these epic collections. And it just seems it just seems very flimsy to me. It's fun. I mean, you get to see how often do you get to see Magneto and Doctor Doom and Red Skull in a room together. But yeah, this I think I think this arc and these issues could have totally been written without tiger shark and maybe maybe this arc would be five issues instead of seven yeah i think that's the biggest thing here that draws it out is tiger shark didn't really need him because because the story is fantastic um i i'm really really enjoying the whole the whole concept of it and it's just uh all of a sudden we throw in a super villain for no real reason just because the kingpin says that he needs to be there I love I love his line. Um, I think it was the last issue, but he's like, he goes back into the room with every all the other villains. He's like, time for more acts of vengeance. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, the end of this issue ends with Tiger Shark being eaten by real sharks. So that's yeah. not a good way to go. That's too bad. Uh, yeah, like Wolverine says, they're strong and deadly, but they feed on their own. Yeah. Uh, and then this issue really feels like the end of a, a collection. Like if you were to collect these issues, this would be a cutoff point for a, a trade collection because they sort of like they laugh off the the things that's go, that are going on. They're like, oh, I guess uh, we're it's smooth sailing from now on or something like that. Like it's not those exact words, but it's that kind of feeling like that's the end of our story. <laughs> we're off on another adventure now. Well, the first time I read through this, I didn't. I didn't even notice that um, Wolverine had the little darts in his back, the cocaine uh, darts in his back. Because I, I started the next issue. I was like, "What's going on here? Why is he acting all weird, all crazy?" And um, and so I had to go back and say, "Oh, okay." I mean, it's such a small little detail. Uh, right. Seeing those, but yeah, I totally missed that too. Uh, I had to. I had to go. There's a couple of times when people got darts, and I was like, I didn't realize they got darts. I think it happens to the the president later too, um, and the son. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, should we move on to? Oh, we get a cool pin up from Klaus Jansen at the end of issue twenty. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, moving on to issue number twenty one. This issue is called Battleground. We get a brief cameo at the beginning from the X Men in Australia, uh, just to remind us that he still has ties to X Men and that they're wondering where he is. 
but otherwise there's no real reason to uh, have those guys in there. Uh, the real story happens in the jungle because Wolverine's gone mad because of this tainted uh, tainted cocaine. And I think that it's, uh, it's affecting him differently than it did for Roughhouse because he has a healing factor. So it's actively fighting against him. But he battles with this. And then uh, the cool thing about this issue is we actually get to see him battle like we go into his mind and we have this whole story that takes place in World War Two, and it's really just a, like an allegorical story of him fighting off the cocaine that's trying to take over him on the inside. And all the while, uh, Sister Salvation is trying to also heal Wolverine from this cocaine. Uh, and there's an interesting thing about her powers is that... Um, or I guess it may be an interesting thing about Wolverine's powers is that Wolverine's healing factor is preventing sister salvation's healing power to work. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was an interesting thing. It was like they, they, the healing factor considers the outside force that's trying to do the healing as a threat. So it's countering the healing, that healing. So I, I really like this issue. Um, yeah, I did too. I thought this issue was fantastic. What's your so he's you know he's in his own head fighting the the spore the cocaine yeah um and he ends up running into to Geist of of course shaving uh, Hitler yep so do you think do you think that that really happened in in real life and it's not just something I mean obviously Wolverine didn't fight him during World War Two but I kind of got the impression that the spore knew these things and was showing Wolverine these things. So I was going to ask the same question. Uh, of course, at this point in Wolverine's history, we don't know how old Wolverine is. So Wolverine appears to be surprised that he's in World War II. Mm -hmm. like he's like, this shouldn't be. There's, there's no way I should be in World War II, even if this is a memory. So, you know, later on, years down the road, we eventually do find out that Wolverine did fight in World War II. But... Uh, at this point, we don't know that. And so, yeah, uh, is this Spore trying to communicate with Wolverine? I absolutely think it is. But is Spore showing an actual event? Um, or is it just something he's coming up with? I have no idea. Who knows? Wolverine's mind has been wiped and his memories messed with so many times. But I don't think he actually you know, ran into Geist in World War II. But right. no, I don't he, think he's so. showing. Yeah, he's showing him probably what Geist was doing. I mean, being in Adolf Hitler's right hand and, and shaving him and all that. But uh, I just thought that was a really cool way to, to add some more backstory to Geist and add some more detail here. Um, as Wolverine is fighting off Spore, you know, it's, he's not just fighting off like a, a drug. He's fighting off a living thing with memories and it can, it can show him, show them more things than we'd normally be able to see. This, it took a really, really surprising turn when, because I thought that uh, w when he first started having this weird World War II memory, it was like, Spore is, is just the cocaine. And he's personified it himself in his mind as a way to try and attack it. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden we find out that, oh, actually, Spore's a really actual real sentient being that is inside Wolverine right now that's trying to 
take over his body. And it just took a, a really, really sharp turn to be. And this is where we went from street level stuff to superhero stuff. Cause now all of a sudden the celestials are involved and like, wow, <laughs> this has just exploded into something completely different. Yeah. Like I said, for issue 17, I, I did not see like you, you, you would not be able to predict this. Not at all. Uh, from that one issue. And it, it kind of gets nuts. I mean, you've got, you have, yeah, celestials, you have deviants, you know, fighting, fighting spore millennia ago. And something just kind of, I, I wish spore was kind of, I don't like the way he's drawn, I guess. Um, I think you can, I think you can get more creative than, than a big white blob <laughs> with it. I mean, it works, you know, it, it kind of, he's a disease and I, I get that, but he kind of just looks like a giant marshmallow or something to me. But how else would you draw a spore? That's a, yeah. I, I I don't know. I just something something is missing there. Um, I was gonna say it's actually kind of a very John Byrne design. I feel like this John Byrne creates other characters. Now, of course, I'm blanking on like maybe Proteus or something like that that are just kind of these monster, hulky monster kind of figures. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to the next issue here, number 22. Yeah, issue 22 is called Outburst. Um, Wolverine ends up getting betrayed by Sister Salvation and, and captured, and he's imprisoned with Roughhouse, the president of Tierra Verde, and, uh, and Sister Salvation to visit their son, um, who the president wants to turn into a superhero using the cocaine and, uh, and kind of be a symbol of the country. Um, Wolverine and Roughhouse end up escaping, interrupting the procedure, and uh, and the president ends up being injected with cocaine instead. And meanwhile, La Bandera shows up uh, with her her band of revolutionaries and attacks. So this is where everything sort of comes to a head. Um, all of the different storylines that have been building up with the revolution that's happening, with uh, the family issues that are going on with Geist and everything, um, it, it just all comes together to this one location right here. Uh, and I thought this was great. I really loved this issue as well. Like, it's really ramping up the action. There's lots going on. Um, I, I love how Rough House is relating to Wolverine now, and they're they're bonding over their yeah. their their torture. <laughs> kind of. It's a, yeah, it's been a, a wild ride, and it's not over yet, but it's great. It's It's really great. I also like the sun. The sun volunteers to be shot with one of these darts the, with the mm -hmm. cocaine uh, because his father asks him to be the hero for Tierra Verde. If you go to page 252, uh, we see at the top, Geist is going to shoot the sun, Paolo, and then Wolverine comes in and like waves his claws in front of the gun so the bullets, go, the darts go flying. And I think that's to show that the darts are going to go into the the president at that point like he deflects them he deflects the the darts to go into him yeah that, yeah and it takes him a minute to realize that they're they they've hit him but at the same time paulo also gets a dart in on page 252 in the last in the bottom left panel and you don't see it and it's so confusing it says dear heaven paulo i I almost died if one of those darts hit you. So she assumes 
she's saying that he didn't get hit. But then later in the next page, on page 253, uh, the president wants Sister Salvation to heal him. And, he's, and she says, I'm sorry, Felix. I can only heal one person at a time, and heaven help us both. It isn't, it isn't in me to make you the priority. So it's like, who is the one that she's healing? We don't know. And we can see, I don't know if on, his, on Paolo's chest there's a little mark, <laughs> if that's supposed to be a dart. It might be. But in the next issue, he's obviously affected by the dart. Yeah, I think I think there were some missed um, opportunities here for for displaying that clearly because I I totally missed that. I mean, like if you if you wouldn't point that out that that's a dart, I mean you wouldn't be able to tell. It just looks you, like a yeah. A, and I a totally missed it. Chest. I had to go back. I because uh, I read through this and didn't think anything of the conversation until we get to the next issue and Paolo is like in a really really he's in really bad shape. Uh, and then I had to go back and try to figure out, well, when did he get shot? And I guess it's right here. <laughs> this issue also had a lot of repeated conversations. I thought that uh, there were a lot of times where things that were revealed in the previous issue had to be re-explained here. And I know that there's the whole, you know, every comic is somebody's first comic, so you got to bring them up to speed. But I thought it was a little, a little redundant uh, in this issue here. I mean, we're, we're hitting all the payoffs and it definitely interrupts the flow a bit to, to have to recap and, and repeat things we, we already know at this point. Yeah. When you get, you get the payoff with Roughhouse, you get kind of the, the president's comeuppance when he, he turns into the hero he wanted here. And then Bandera, La Bandera, finally inspires enough people to, to make a difference here. Yep. Until she runs face-to-face with, with Spore, but... Uh, then she realizes that she's completely out of her league. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Starting a revolution is one thing. Dealing with um, aliens is completely different. For Wolverine, this is old hat. He can deal with it. He's done it before. Yeah, and it, it's cool to see him with the the flamethrower um, little action figure moment there, where he straps it on. Yeah, and uh, and starts torching him. Ah, so issue number 23 is called Endings. And this is the final issue of this story. This is uh, this is the end, as the title says. Wolverine and Bandera and Sister Salvation, uh, they, they all work together to take down Spore. I thought it was actually a very well thought out ending, like the, the way that they take him down, um, especially using Sister Salvation to, to, to save her husband even though she doesn't really want to and i don't think he gets really saved at the end he just gets stopped but yeah there's just a there's just a lot going on here bandera takes down the government um wolverine stops geist they have a big battle and he removes all of the tainted cocaine from madripoor like there's just so much that happens in this one issue and it doesn't actually it doesn't seem crowded it doesn't seem doesn't seem forced or anything like that. And what I really like is that they take down Spore in the first half of the book, which means there's actual room for closure in the last half of this story. All of the characters say their piece and what they've learned and say goodbye to each other and they tie up loose ends. And it's it's actually, a, I think, a really, really well laid out, well paced final issue to a a big story that has so many moving parts to it. So I think it, 
uh, I don't know if you read the uh, the extras in the back, but there's the, the article from Marvel Age number 80 that goes into this story. And in there it says it was a six part six part story. So I'm I'm thinking maybe the Acts of Vengeance uh, editorial requirement probably pushed it out to seven parts. Okay. And I, I'm I'm glad they did because without this without the extra room, I mean I know some some comments said it was too long, but you wouldn't have gotten this amount of closure with in six issues, including all the acts of vengeance stuff too. Yeah, I think that's I think you're right. And it's very common in comic book stories for it's like the action or the last battle goes up to the very last page and you take down the villain and Wolverine's like standing on top of his corpse saying no, which point me in the direction of the bar, and then the story's over, right? <laughs> that's and that's all the closure you get. Uh, I was really, really happy that they spent time decompressing at the end of this story. I mean, Roughhouse, we've talked about, but but Geist running into Magneto, that was just such like such a satisfying uh, way for that to end because it, it for me it came out of nowhere. Yeah, um, and you know we know Magneto loves killing Nazis. So, um, <laughs> and they, and they leave it to the imagination what he ends up doing with him. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also love the, the fact that the revolution works that Bandera yep. and her people, uh, are in control, but there are so many different factions that have banded together to overthrow the government that now nobody can agree on what's, what's the best course of action now. And Wolverine's like, you know what? I kind of warned you. Uh, that you shouldn't have got into this mess and now you're kind of stuck. <laughs> so good luck. See you later. Yep. So I thought that was really nice too. Uh, uh, we don't really get to see her very much to find out if she she's successful in restoring a, a stable government or not. And we uh, we get a little bit of payoff on the uh, the Madripoor stuff, the general <laughs> yeah, right. prince. Even though at this, by this point I had, I had forgotten that they were even involved in this story, but um, you know, they, you get to see them run through the sewers and, and that great shot of uh, Wolverine on page 281. Leaping um, toward him with a crazy face. Leaping towards <laughs> you, yeah. So this this is the issue that um, is apparently drawn entirely by and inked by John Byrne. But um, to me, there's just something off about it. I don't know if it was rushed or, or what, but it, it doesn't look like John Byrne inking himself at all. There is more detail in in a lot of the uh, shading on these characters. I mean, if you look at like the way that Byrne is drawing Geist, mm-hmm. all of the wrinkles on his face and such, like that's very John Burney or John Burnish, or <laughs> I want to say it. Um, to to put way more, uh, just loose loose detail in in the shading and that kind of stuff um the other scene on page 276 where wolverine's kind of busting in on the the new cabinet meeting the hatching there a lot of the hatching a lot of the lines a lot of the just the way he draws the folds and clothes that's it it does show john Byrne, and i didn't notice that the first time around but now that you've pointed out to me that this is john Byrne inking it it's like yeah this is this is I guess John Byrne. I guess I just pre- I, I like John Byrne's art a lot. I guess I just prefer him being inked by other people. I, I mean, I like the cleaner look. Um, right. Yeah. On, like on when his art. Who is it that inks him on X Men? Is it Terry Austin? Yeah, I think so. Um, like the early Uncanny 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. super clean and super, yeah, that's that's what you get for sure. And I think, was John Byrne inking himself when he took over Spider-Man in the 90s, in the late 90s, after uh, when they rebooted those titles? I think he might have been. So you see some oh, of that kind of inking there as well. Uh, I wanted to just to talk about the cover of this one just for a sec. Yeah. It's got a really cool shot of Wolverine showing off his claws. If you look carefully, and I totally didn't notice this until later, uh, you see Geist, <laughs> his reflection in the claws. Yeah, in the claws and, and a little, um, I, I don't know what you call those, the glove. Uh, the, the studs on the glove or whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some sort of computer manipulation there to stretch Geist's face because, uh, and th- like it looks all pixelated and stuff. So there is some sort of photocopying or something going on to, to alter those images. But it's a cool looking image and it works it is, yeah. even if you don't notice that Geist is there. Yeah, I think you probably could have done without it. I mean, it's almost stretched to the point of, of being unrecognizable, but when, it's a it's a nice little detail on there. Yeah. Uh, one other question that's raised at the end is that is is Sister Salvation uh, is she a mutant, or was she given the powers that she has by a celestial to use in the event that Spore uh, ever comes back? Or the the explanation that she likes is, um, you know, it's it's that she implies is that. It, God gave her those powers. Right. Yeah. And yeah. lies back with her own Catholic beliefs there. Yeah. And it's, it's, we don't, we don't know. It could be any of the three, but we have no idea. So it's kind of cool that they just kind of throw that out there and it doesn't bother her. Um, she doesn't care if she's a mutant or if their power is given to her by some sort of celestial being. Uh, she just is using it to the best of her ability. If she even has the power still. Yeah, she kind of says, you know, she's, there's that shot of her on page 271 with her hands kind of being burnt up. And um, she kind of, she's wondering, you know, is if that was the gift's true purpose, does it exist any longer? And, and then on the next page, she says, well, I still have my medical skills. I can still help. So, yeah. And she kind of has her hands wrapped up in bandages there. Um, but yeah, she's kind of a cool character. I mean, you know... It, I like the interactions with her and and the president and and the son and Roughhouse. I mean, I I really liked every every character in this story. Yeah, they they worked so well together. They were clearly defined characters, each with their own distinct personality and voice, and they all played off of each other really well. Archie yeah. Goodwin is a good writer. I I really like his stuff. I think he's great. Yeah, and um, I, you know this. The majority, or you know, most of the, the issues in this book are written by Archie Goodwin. If you include the the Nick Fury story too, and, right? Um, I was surprised. I was surprised how much I liked. I liked this story. There's a lot going on, and it, it it's it's kind of a wild ride. Um, but this this might be my favorite. If you divide this book into you know three or four different parts this might be my favorite part of the book yeah i think so too i would agree if it weren't for the fact that tiger shark uh kind of derailed things in the middle there then you'd have a very well very succinct well put together story it uh can i, can I say it jumped the shark a little bit there jump the shark yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> i had to say it <laughs> yeah well let's keep going on over here to issue number 24 
Yeah, issue 24 is called Snowblind, and this is um, kind of somewhat of a fill-in in between issue, between ongoing arcs here. Uh, this is written by Peter David. Uh, so there's an assassin called the Snow Queen, and uh, she is in Madripoor and has a, a bomb stolen from her. And so most of the book is uh, Wolverine chasing her down, trying to prevent her from from killing people and she ends up uh being a blown up being blown up by her own bomb at the end <laughs> yeah i i did like how that was laid out it's like the she the the street urchin steals the bomb she's after the street urchin urchin so that the bomb doesn't explode and wolverine's after her even though she's trying to help even though it was her bomb, but she's trying to help the situation, but Wolverine keeps kind of getting in the way. He has no idea that there's a bomb. Yeah. Like this entire story, she has no idea. He has no idea that there's a bomb. Uh, this one is drawn by Gene Colan, and in the previous volume, uh, in volume one, there was also a fill-in issue with, by Peter Davis and Gene Colan, the one with the, uh, it's kind of a haunted house story. Mm-hmm. So that one was a fill-in issue, and I feel like this one definitely is a fill-in issue as well, to the point where it's like they patches back again just for a second. I feel like this story was written before Peter David uh, called Patch out on the fact that he is just Wolverine with a stupid disguise, and it was uh, an inventory story, so they stuck it in here. Yeah, you could slot this one anywhere, basically. I mean... yep. It, it's not tied to anything to anything in the ongoing story. It, it, it's okay. I mean, I, I like Peter David a lot. Um, this one, I, you know, I wouldn't, aside from the little ironic twist at the end with the bomb, nothing, nothing really stood out to me in this issue. What about you? Um, I would have to say the same thing. It was, a, it was a quite enjoyable story. I, I was interested. I like this character. We are just kind of getting to know her and then she's, blown up (laughs) so uh, she's got a cool power where she can uh create enough just a she can cloud your eyes so that she can get away basically it looks like snow or something like that snow blind Mm -hmm. but yeah it's just a it's just a fill-in it's not a bad fill-in but it's nothing to phone home about either however i will say there's a really cool jim lee cover on this issue very cool the first of a few Jim Lee covers in this in this yeah. book here. Well, let's keep on going because uh, we still have five issues to get six issues to get through. Um, this is issue number twenty five. It's called Air Aid, and another cool issue from Wolverine. Uh, but I mean by Jim Lee. But the inside is by John Buscema. John Buscema returns to the book just for a few issues, and it's it's so nice. Let me tell you, it's like very very familiar i'm like i i remember after having so much of no uh no john Bisema, but but loving his stuff in the first volume it's nice to have him back yeah i mean he he's someone he did the marvel comics presents story that started the last volume yep. and then what was it the first seven or eight issues of uh of the ongoing too and he's inking himself in this so it has a very kind of slick look because when uh when Klaus Janssen was inking him in the Marvel Comics present stuff, it had a very more kind of a scattered and frantic look to it. Uh, this is definitely much cleaner. 
And this is the first issue with Joe Duffy. I loved this issue. I'm just going to say that right off the bat here. I thought it was fantastic. Wolverine is asked to uh, return a favor of an old friend who he, you know, Wolverine owes him a favor. So he's asked to essentially just babysit his son. Wolverine doesn't quite understand why that's important until he finds out that his dad, who I guess is involved in the mob somehow, he and his buddies are getting ready for something big and they're going out and he just wants Wolverine to protect his son just in case anything happens. And uh, Wolverine, while he's there, tells this kid a bedtime story of a young kid who is lost in the woods and raised by wolverines. And we'll come back to that story in a little bit, but um, sure enough, bad guys do attack and Wolverine fence them off. And uh, there's a big fight between these rival gangs. And in the end, uh, we have that moment where I was saying, you don't get any uh, resolution. Wolverine just says, uh, what is his line here? Whatever the future holds, when the next generation runs rolls around, I know who I want running this end of town. He looks to that kid because the kid's got a new sense of courage. Wolverine lights a cigarette and he's out of there. No resolution. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just because this is a one-shot kind of story. It feels kind of like a fill-in issue as well. And it might be. I know that sometimes before um, a writer is signed on as a regular writer at this point, they'll, they'll try them out in a fill-in issue. And this feels like it could be Joe Duffy's tryout. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 fine with these little these three little patch adventures. I mean, oh yeah, me too. I think they're I think they're great. This one, uh, this one was definitely definitely cute. I mean, I like the, the little the bedtime story and the, the kid kind of coming into his own there. So, what do you think about this story? Um, it's cute. I mean, it's. I don't know. Do you think do you think it's it's a real story? That's my question is do you think that he's trying to say something from the past cuz he does when when the son asks does this boy in the story have a name? Wolverine thinks to himself, Logan. I could call him Logan. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's a little on the nose to think that Wolverine's telling a story of the past of him being raised by Wolverines. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you know, he, he just calls, he ends up calling him the boy. Um, but, and like we saw, talked about earlier, Wolverine has so many memory issues or anything, yeah. but there's, there's so many details in the story. I mean, that I kind of lend credence to it being something that really happened to him. Yeah. I guess. Um, and if, I guess if they're trying to establish that this is how Wolverine gets his name or, embraces his feral nature um you notice that he doesn't pop his claws as a, in, the kid in the story never pops his claws the entire time because at this point in history they haven't even determined that uh like they haven't really fleshed out the weapon x project i don't think yeah i mean for a long time wolverine they thought that you know readers thought that his claws were given to him during weapon x they yeah. didn't realize they were the bone claws exactly yeah and all that um but yeah i mean there's just there's so many little details of him being caught and uh you know by the the fur trappers there and everything i don't know i mean it, it's easy to at this point 
you know, readers would take anything they could get looking into, into Wolverine's past, any little detail. Yeah. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go on the side of it really happened to him and, and kind of just chalk it up to, to some good backstory there. Or at least he thinks at this time that it really happened to him. Yeah. This is one of those fake memories probably. Yeah. It could definitely be an implanted weapon X memory. Yeah. I love the, the final battle, just all of the people in a very tight confined place uh, beating each other up yeah yeah everyone's got a gun or a knife or a machete or, yep. or some kind of weapon and then there's the rival gang boss uh Piggott. and uh he, he kind of looks like a, a pimp or something but um yeah no and then i i love the the classic little john Byrne face of the kid on page 329 where he's he pushes the cart into into Piggott and then the, the next panel, the second panel. Like that <laughs> yeah, that little the cartoony totally. looking face. Yep, the little sneer, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that too. Well, let's keep going over to um, issue number 26. Uh, yeah, issue 26 is called Memory of Peace. Uh, this is by Joe Duffy and Klaus Jansen. So many years ago, Wolverine uh, and his friend Bando uh, discuss how Bando is making his nephew his heir um, and leaving him a, a very valuable heirloom uh, bowl. And uh, Bando is eventually murdered by the nephew and the bowl is sold to a man named Claymore um, in Madripoor and Wolverine plays poker with him to try and win it back. Um, and then as Patch... Uh, he goes back and uh, he wins the bowl and he ends up confronting the nephew and reveals that he was going to inherit everything anyways. And he killed his, his uh, uncle and aunt for nothing. And uh, I kind of had to tell that out of order because it, it bounces around quite a bit. I mean, you get flashbacks and flash forwards and memories in this, but yep. I actually found that a little confusing. I had to flip back and forth a few times throughout this story just to, so I could get a bearing on yeah. where I like what timeline I was in. Yeah, you you start out with him confronting everyone. It looks like, and then it says six days ago on the first page, but they don't really ever frame it after that. Um, I think there's one reference to many years ago for when he's talking right. with Bando, but. But I would have liked to have some sort of more of a visual clue as to what I was looking at. Like if maybe the text boxes and the narration were a different color to indicate what time we were in. Or if there was some sort of color filter put on the flashback sequences or something. Because yeah. it, just, it really yeah. didn't stand out and I had to think hard. Plus, uh, I think the really confusing thing for me was that... The, when the nephew is introduced, it's such a it's such a side comment. Um, it's on page three thirty nine. Wolverine says, "I'm not your only guest." And then Bando says, "No, Weston, the son of my wife's younger sister, here is with his servant." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all that we really get. And so when they mention a few pages later, when they mention Weston killed um, killed uh, that family. I was like, who's Weston? And like, what's the relationship here? And I couldn't, I couldn't. And then Wolverine seemed to know exactly who he was and where to find him. And I'm like, how does, what, how does he know that? I really did have to kind of read it. I, the, the concept was great. I think the story just was not executed as well as it could have been. 
yeah, it's it, it is a little confusing. Um, it, it all kind of comes together in the end, and there's you know the twist that the uncle was dying anyways. But I think it could have been told straightforward, uh, you know, in a more linear fashion, and it would have been just as effective. Yeah, it's not like there were big reveals or anything like that that, yeah. that had to happen in a certain order. Yeah, I, 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 I guess definitely the weakest of the, the three fill-in issues for me. Yeah, um, I think so too. And, you know, I think I think Joe Duffy did a better job in the, in the last one. Well, let's move on to issue number 27. Wolverine is now on sale twice a month. And we are going to have the first part of a story called The Lazarus Project, written by Joe Duffy. This chapter is illustrated by John Buscema. And uh, I think he probably just does the breakdowns here because Dan Green is also credited as an artist, but I'm sure he's doing the finishes and inking. So one character that we haven't seen in this book at all in this volume is Jessica Drew, who is actually a reoccurring character and part of the supporting cast at this point. Um, but Archie didn't use him use her at all, and neither did Peter David in his one fill-in, and neither did Joe Duffy in these previous issues. But she's here now, and Jessica is under the employ of of uh, Prince Baron, and while she's in the palace, she hears she overhears plans of an attack on a village. She doesn't know exactly which village or anything, but she gets found out and gets beat up because of it, and makes her way over to Wolverine to warn him that there's an attack on a village. So Wolverine has to figure all of that out. There's also a, a guest appearance from uh, Karma from the New Mutants, uh, who's going to be playing a significant role throughout this story. And uh, she's not with the New Mutants at this point. She has left because she's going to be uh, working for her uncle. Um, her uncle plays a, a big role throughout her story all the way back to her first appearance uh, she feels like she owes her uncle a lot because he took her in after her parents were killed after she was uh, freed from the the war camps in Vietnam yeah that's kind of this issue in a nutshell uh, it's setting up a lot of stuff uh, for these next few next few issues here and I, I actually like this people were saying in the comments that we read at the beginning that this story is just a mess but I thought it starts off quite strong introducing us to the all of the players Joe Duffy has to introduce us to patch again for the third time I think in this book and introduce us <laughs> to the concept of patch and madripoor even though it really doesn't matter once we get past this first chapter <laughs> I think I think for me the first the first two issues are fine, and then the second two are where it kind of falls apart. Absolutely, I agree with that. In fact, I really loved the second issue. Uh, the next issue, I thought it was the best out of all of them. And I'm I'm glad I'm glad like you mentioned to see uh, Jessica Drew and Karma, who was in who was in the the first volume here in, in the early issues of the ongoing. Uh, I'm glad to see that part of the supporting cast come back, and it almost feels like like a, a nice continuation of what uh, what Chris Claremont and even Peter David were doing in the first volume there. Yeah. just a, And just slightly because they change things, they still change things up and most of the story doesn't take place in Madripoor. Um, and then, like I said, the, the patch stuff is here at the beginning, but then they pretty quickly get him into his costume and forget about the rest of it. The, the part I, the, mo- the main part I didn't like about um, 
the book and the story arc in general was the the mad scientist guy um, who makes the who's behind the Lazarus project, and just the idea of the uh, I keep wanting to say master mold, but master form in general. I feel like there's there's some setups that don't really get payoffs. In the oh man, issues. they really don't get paid off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The master form being the biggest one of them all. Like, what the heck is the master form? We don't. Yeah. They they don't tell us. It's really important, and we don't find out at all. I hope it's uh, talked about again, but I know that Larry Hama starts in the next issue, in the next volume, so we probably will not find out anything more about it. Well, <laughs> I guess we should probably just move on. Yeah, let's know. move on to the second part. Yeah. So issue 28 is called uh, The Stranger, and this is Lazarus Project Part 2. Um, Wolverine washes up on the shore of the island of Rumika, uh, and he has total amnesia and doesn't know who he is. He enjoys daily life and kind of becomes part of the village here uh, for a while until the village gets attacked by by mercenaries um, who are after the master form, which is being guarded by the villagers. Karma ends up joining in and, and they attempt to help, but they, they can't prevent the, the massacre. Um, I mentioned this before. I absolutely love this issue. I It reminded me of... There's a Star Trek The Next Generation episode where Picard Picard wakes up and, and is in this strange village and doesn't know why he's there and people think that he's somebody else but he and he's like, No, I'm Picard. Um what is that one called? I think it's called Inner Light. Anyway, it's not exactly the same setup as this, but it's the same thing as like Wolverine is placed in an environment where he doesn't know he doesn't know who he is or, or what he's supposed to be doing, but then he mm-hmm. finds a home and a family with these people, which is what happens with Picard in that episode as well. I, yeah, that's a classic Star Trek episode where he yeah he um doesn't he get old by the end and kind yes. of lives out his whole life there? Yeah, he lives like forty years there, and then but yeah. only twenty five minutes has passed in in real life, and he gets so it's a similar thing. He gets snapped back to his real life, but he still has the memories of everything that has happened. And I feel like this is the same with Wolverine here is that he, he has no memory. So he, everything that he knows is this village that he's been living in for who knows how long now, all the people he know, he, he knows and, and has come to care for, um, they're, they're his family. Then all of a sudden they're all destroyed. And then he gets his memories back and he remembers everything but he also still remembers that this is his family that he's been so attached to in the last little while. And I think it's just yeah. incredibly, just a sad story. Yeah, it is sad. I mean, I, I was, I was kind of shocked at the level of violence that I mean, yeah. kids and everyone gets killed basically. Yeah. With no mercy or anything like they're totally, yeah. There's just the whole village is slaughtered. Like page um, 395. There is just a beautiful page with no, no dialogue um and it's just heartbreaking i mean you see the poor little kids there crying and uh and you know the mercenary just just takes them out and then obviously wolverine's anger there once he once he realizes what's going on yeah i found that there were a lot of scenes in this issue that were told really well without words joe duffy just let the scene go because i and it's completely opposite to what I was saying in the uh, the Archie Goodwin issues where there's a lot of dialogue. We hear Wolverine's inner monologue, but this is taking a different approach and it's very effective because it's like 
nobody can think when this massacre is happening. It's like, it's just, it's happening. You don't know what to think. So everything's just silent and you're just taking it in. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely goes into that animal berserker mode and yeah, just starts snapping necks and, and killing people. I just thought it was such good pacing, the whole thing. And this, this one's drawn by Barry Kitson, who I'm not familiar with at all. And I just thought he did a great job of telling this, this story all in one issue. Like it's uh a lot happens in this one issue. Wolverine yeah. discovers uh, like he's washed up on shore. He spends this whole time with this this group of people he forms relationships with, and it doesn't feel forced, even though it's only like a few pages. It's just paced really, really well. And then this slaughter at the end. It's just uh, I really, really like this issue. Yeah, I like Barry Kitson a lot. Um, I'm more familiar with his DC work. He did a lot of work on. Uh on Legion of Superheroes and um, Superman and Batman books in the nineties. Um, and he's just a great storyteller, I think. Yeah. But he certainly shows it here. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is where the good stops and we get to the next issue. Uh, the Lazarus project part three, the road back this one issue uh, so they, they burn all the bodies of the people who are slaughtered out of respect as a sort of a fu- funeral pyre. And the whole issue is Logan, Karma, and Target, this other kid who just found out that he was on the wrong side the whole time. Uh, they're sitting around a fire just trying to figure out what their next move is. There are a series of flashbacks from various different people. I did appreciate the the Karma one because her backstory is interesting. Uh, and then targets, of course, had to be there because it kind of tells the origin of this master form, whatever this master form thing. It looks like a giant egg or something like that. It's, I mean, I guess it's just, uh, you know, a MacGuffin plot device kind of thing, but it it's such a weak one. It, it's kind of, it kind of drives me nuts in this story. Yeah, it, and it has no bearing on the ending of the story at all. Like it's like, no, they just they just leave it there. Okay, and so some mercenaries come back and try to kill them, and and Wolverine kind of gets his revenge, and Target gets some revenge, and everyone gets some revenge, and, and then they, yeah, then they leave this master form there in the fire, like in the in the dirt there, and they're like going to go back to Madripoor and take care of business. Um, it was just a, it was the pacing was bad. It was so full of exposition. And storytelling that doesn't move things forward that it's like, I just, I was so disappointed after the issue that I absolutely loved in the last issue. For for me, what killed this issue and the main reason I don't like it is the Wolverine flashback. I, I just, we're three issues into a four-part story and... Help me count this. I mean, it's yeah, it's like it's like four six pages. or seven pages. Yeah, it's it's a, a ridiculously long recap of the things that we yeah. just read, and I don't know if that's like this story is too confusing for people, so we have to like spell it all out for you. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I thought the first, like we were saying, the first two issues are are really good. They are perfect setup. Yeah. Um, and then you just have this recap that just kills the momentum. And, you know, I'm fine with the, the karma backstory and even target 
who I think it's kind of telling we didn't mention him until th- three issues in. Um, they kind of dump all his characterization at once here. Um, yeah, and especially we were introduced a, to the his uh, his cousin. Yeah, it's such a long story for Target that I mean you, you could have. I didn't. I barely noticed him throughout the first two issues here. Right. Um, and now now he's now he's a major up, player. Yeah, he's taking up like eight pages of this issue. Yeah. Oh boy, it was just not satisfying at all. Such a disappointment. Yeah, I, I, I kind of just want to. I want to reread this and take this issue out and see if it changes it at all. <laughs> uh, well, it does change things because Target's backstory is the reason the next issue exists. We, um, we can't have the next issue if we don't know Target's backstory. True, with the the whole Lazarus project and his cousin and everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you want to do this last issue here? Yeah, issue thirty, the Lazarus Project Part Four. Um, this is titled uh, "Family Matters," and this is Joe Duffy again and Bill uh, Jaska penciling. Yep. Um, so Target, Logan, and Karma assault the Prince's Palace where the uh the Lazarus project is underway they run into the robot pinocchio and realize it contains the brain or the soul or whatever you want to call it of uh, target's cousin they they end up shutting down the project violently and uh and karma kind of tells off her uncle at the end yeah there you go so here's what i don't understand uh, did they kill the did they kill a cousin Rick and put his brain in this robot or is the whole kid inside the robot? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's like his brain. This whole story is called the Lazarus project. And Lazarus of course is a famous biblical character who comes back from the dead. Jesus brings him back from the dead. So anything that's ever called Lazarus, like the Lazarus pits in Batman, Rachel Gould's Lazarus pits, mm-hmm. it's always about coming back to life. So, but they really don't stress that in this story. The whole story is called the Lazarus Project, but I, we don't see anybody come back to life. No, the only thing, the only references they make, and it's in this issue, I think, is they they mention like a cybernetic brain a couple of times. Um, but yeah, you don't, you never really have a good grip of what the actual project is. I mean, you know, they want the master form for some reason. And then they end up saying, oh, it's not important. I guess we don't need it. It would have been good, but we're fine without it. I mean, And I, I wonder as well, it's like these two kids join this whatever government, secret government agency. At one point, Rick, the cousin, volunteers for this project. And so the mad scientist takes him away. Do they kill the kid, like on purpose? <laughs> In order to bring him back to life, because this is technically the Lazarus project and someone needs to come back to life. Like, it's just not clear. And so, all of a sudden, uh, I don't care about this story at all. Like, the the big finale features the Pinocchio robot, which has been so minimal in the previous issues. Like, I really thought the master form was the main purpose of this story. And they just ditched it and didn't talk about it at all. Well, especially because in the first part of the the story, we don't we don't really have an, any idea of what Pinocchio is, right? I right. Mean, they kind of say, you know, he's he's my creation. 
but it just looks like a robot to us. Like that's that's all we that's the only thing we see of it. So we don't really know that there's anything special going on there. But the main payoff or so the, the main thing in this story is that a village was massacred, a village that Wolverine holds dear. The purpose of the village was to take care of the master form. And so by not addressing the master form issue here, the whole village was massacred for absolutely no reason. Well, and and more than that, it was it was massacred by the people that were in charge of they they told them the village to protect the master form and then they ended up massacring them for no reason. I, I just don't understand it. Like I don't Wolverine understand has it that, either. He's got that confrontation where he's like, No, I smell I smelled you on the, the mercenaries, you did this yourself. Don't pretend like you're protecting them. Right. Why not just go ask for it back? I really don't understand it. I don't understand it either. I have no idea. We it just it was such a disappointing end to this story that started off really strong. I wish I wish we had uh, Joe Duffy on the phone here to to ask her. <laughs> I mean, maybe there was some editorial uh, influence here, but um, maybe I don't know. There's there's a lot of promising parts, and those those first two issues were great. And I just I just got completely taken out of it with that third issue. All all the momentum was gone for me. Yep, yep, I I agree. It's kind of too bad that this is how we end this epic collection because it was kind of a bummer. Well, the one the one um, silver lining is Karma and her her confrontation with her uncle, the general. True. Um, you know, she kind of tells him to stuff it. And... Yeah, this is actually a very important issue for Karma. If there were ever going to be just like some sort of collection that collects all of Karma's important moments, and like this, this should be there because uh, she sticks it to her uncle, who she's been kind of out of guilt working with him for years yeah she feels responsible for um is it her cousins or her, her siblings right uh the, the little kids and yeah no she there's definitely a little payoff for her in this in this final issue but but overall it's kind of a kind of just a a weak storyline yeah i mean that storyline you could have removed and given its own spotlight somewhere else because Shen doesn't really do a whole lot. I mean, she uses her mind powers to do stuff, but you could have written her out of the story and, and just kept it going exactly the same. So there's definitely three or four parts, like five if you count the graphic novels as separate in this collection here. And what would you say is your, your favorite and your least favorite? Uh, I'm going to rank it as... Uh... <sighs> It's too bad because I think my favorite issue is Lazarus Project Part 2, but I can't say that that's my favorite part of the book, like the whole the whole story, because yeah. it's terrible. Um, I think I'm going to put Archie Goodwin's story up first, the Spore story, then Jungle Adventure, then uh, the one shot with uh, Wolverine telling the bedtime story. And then everything after that is kind of uh, mixed up and that with Lazarus Project kind of being at the bottom. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I, I think the Archie Goodwin arc is... I, I had a blast reading that. I mean, that was like pure distilled comics with the cocaine and the yep. the Celestials. And I, I just... Every page was like, okay, what's going to happen now? I mean, it's, it was just a lot of fun. Yes, I agree. Uh, there's some bonus features in the back here. A lot of different articles if you uh, care about reading 
uh, puff pieces that were printed around the time. <laughs> there are a few good, a few little quotes that are interesting from from the people who are working on these projects, but these were all written before the projects came out, so they don't give any sort of revelations or anything like that. Um, but there's a really cool picture uh, by of Wolverine by Mobius, who is one of my favorite comic creators. Very cool stuff. Uh, he did a series of of comic book or like Marvel Comics superhero posters around this time. Yeah, what is Wolverine uh, sitting on there? Just some sort of pedestal or something like that. Like okay. you have to understand Mobius and his style in order to know what this background is, because this is pure weird Mobius. It's uh, kind of that like organic. It, it's it's cool looking. I like it a lot. Um, definitely definitely kind of a trippy image yeah well anybody who's interested in reading some uh you should check out dark horse has been doing these books called the mobius library the first one called the garden of Dinia is fantastic and if you read that you will get to know his style and this image will be like oh yeah that's definitely mobius <laughs> um a couple of great uh pages uh like art pages of uh, john burns so that's a treat to see because you can see like the uh, the stuff in the margins. Um, they're they're printed one per page instead of four per page, so you actually can see a lot of the detail, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing here is that on the cover uh, the, of the Wolverine issue twenty two cover, where Wolverine's kind of being engulfed by this spore, right where the box, the UPC box is, John Byrne suggests what the cover copy should be. <laughs> and they actually use it and usually the cover copy is like the editor usually decides what is going to be said on the cover but you know John Byrne is uh, he likes to you know put his input in wherever he can so uh, that's what he's doing here well overall this was a great conversation the good and the bad um, thanks for uh, going through it with me Drew yeah thanks for having me and I think next time we should jump back to uh, Captain America next time you're on the show and tackle some more Silver Age Captain America. Yeah, I think we have uh, Volume 2 up next. Yep. And I think we'll probably aim for, uh, it's going to be a little while, maybe winter. It could be December, it could be January, but we'll get to it. Sounds good. Awesome. Great. Uh, I don't usually plug my social media enough on the podcast so i'm going to say go to our facebook page and also our facebook group search epic collections to find our facebook group and join the conversation there we're all talking about epic collections all the time and it's a lot of fun Uh, you can also find us on twitter on instagram just search for epic marvel podcast and you can even find us on patreon if you want to throw us a couple bucks and get access to some exclusive interviews and whatnot but other than that, yeah, we are, we'll be back next week for another episode. So thanks all for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>